Have you ever experienced something so painful, so hard to get through that you didn't know if you would make it out on the other side? A time where it seemed like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. For some of you, our current times may feel like this. If you've ever felt this way, know that you're not alone. The truth is that most, if not all people, will experience these painful moments. And there is no exception for Christians. Listen to the way that Paul records his own suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. These were all very painful events in Paul's life. These types of pains and sufferings are to be expected, though, in this life, and that is for a couple different reasons. Number one, we live in a fallen world. When sin entered the world, so did disease, crime, death, and any other affliction that we face. Secondly, we face these types of pains and sufferings because, in the long run, they produce steadfastness. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials that we face, if they produce steadfastness, actually contribute to our sanctification, to our maturity as Christians. If this is true, and as Bible-believing Christians, we believe this to be true, but if this is true, how come so many people turn away from God instead of to God during their hardest of times? How come so many times trials, even for Christians, instead of producing faith, seem to produce the opposite, doubt? It may be, and this is just a speculation, but I believe that it's a logical speculation, but it may be that because we as Christians, specifically Western world Christians or American Christians, don't know how to express our emotions to God or even to one another during difficult times. We don't have many songs in our hymnals and our songbooks that express emotions other than happiness. And when we go to church, no matter what's going on in our life, we refuse to show any other emotion other than happiness. We don't intimately share with one another just how much pain we are in when we go through trials. And in doing this, I think we have deceived ourselves and potentially other believers into thinking that Christians don't go through times that bring them to despair. Then, because we haven't seen much sorrow or loneliness or pain or despair in other more mature believers, when something happens to us that brings us to that point, that brings us to that point of despair, we simply don't know how to express it. And then because we don't know how to express it, 
And because we haven't seen it in other believers, we then feel that something must be wrong with us, or perhaps even with God. We may feel that God has forgotten about us. And because we feel this way, we're afraid to talk about it. We feel that it's unusual. And this creates a cycle where we don't talk about these types of hardships at church, so when they happen, we think they're unusual. And then because we think they're unusual, we don't talk about it at church. And then the cycle repeats. And if this is you, though it may seem like it, you are not alone. Regardless if we talk about it or not as we should, I would argue that all Christians experience these same emotions from time to time. But you need to know that this is normal. Paul experienced incredible hardship and incredible suffering. Some of it was the direct result of persecution, which Jesus tells us to be expected of those who follow him. But some of it was simply natural pains and natural disasters. Being shipwrecked wasn't an act of persecution. That is something that people would describe today as an act of God. His hunger and his anxiety and his sleeplessness, they were not external hardships. Rather, they were internal sufferings that he faced. We could go on and continue to read from Paul about his hardships, but I want us to take some time now and look to a particular psalm. Psalm 77. Because in this psalm, you're going to hear the heart's cry of a man who, while fully believing in God, went through troubles so severe that for a moment he began to doubt God. But what I want us to see is his response to those external troubles that he faced, and then his response to the internal doubts that arose from those troubles. Psalm 77, to the choir master, according to Jedithon, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. There seems to be three phases that this psalmist experiences as he walks through this particular time in his life. And looking at these three phases may help us walk through similar times in our own lives. The first phase 
is extreme troubles. The psalmist says in a couple different ways just how much trouble he's going through, just how hard his times are. He says first that his soul refuses to be comforted. He goes on to say that when he remembers God, he moans. When he meditates, his spirit faints. Remember, this is someone who believes fully in God and his promises. At the beginning of this psalm, he confesses that the Lord will hear his cry. Yet, he also seems to admit that he doesn't feel close to God, that he doesn't feel God's nearness. And I think to say that when he meditates, his spirit faints is to say that he's having trouble focusing on God or perhaps praying. He goes on to say that God himself is holding his eyelids open. In other words, he can't sleep. He says that he is so troubled even that he cannot speak. The second phase then that he goes through, I would call doubt. Not the kind of doubt where he's doubting the existence of God. He's already confessed that. But perhaps he's doubting God's goodness towards him. He says that his spirit made a search. And I want you to hear what the result of that search was. He says, Will the Lord spurn forever? That is, will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never again be favorable? He goes on to say. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? That is somewhat ironic that he would call it his steadfast love and then ask if it has ceased. That is like saying, has his unwavering love wavered? Has his unceasing love ceased? That is the cry of someone who knows well truth about God's love, but does not feel it to be true. He goes on to ask, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? You may have felt this way before. You may be feeling this way right now. And God in his perfect wisdom through these psalms have given us ways to express these feelings towards God. We can pray the same thing to God when we feel this way. We can use it to express our innermost feelings that we didn't think could be expressed in words. Our hymns and our music that we sing doesn't always allow for us to express these kinds of emotions to God, but the Psalms are perfect for it. Notice now the, the third and final phase this psalmist experiences. After describing his troubles and then after describing his doubts and his feelings about God, he then writes to resolve to this doubt by remembering the works of God. In verse 10, right after asking if God had forgotten to be gracious and if his anger has overcome his compassion, he says this, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. So the psalmist responds to doubt and the suffering by not wallowing in it, but instead by focusing and then remembering the works of God in history and in his own life. He remembers, he ponders, it says, he confesses, your way, O God, is holy. I think that is to admit, God, regardless of how I feel about my own suffering, I trust that what you are doing is holy. I would encourage you to read this psalm for yourself because he goes on in so many ways to express what he knows to be true about God. And what he knows to be true about God seems to be more important to him than what he currently feels about himself and about God. In this psalm, we have been given a God-inspired method to work through suffering and to work through doubt. 
the psalmist doesn't ignore these pains and he doesn't ignore his own doubts. He admits them before God, but then he works through them by remembering God. We don't know how long he went through each phase. There is likely overlap between phases as well. I think it's possible to confess these things to be true about God with your mind without feeling them in your heart. And I think that's okay. But I think the key is to keep pushing forward, to keep preaching to yourself these wonderful truths about God. In a book called Spiritual Depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones write, You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, Why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, Hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. This is what the psalmist does in that third phase. He preaches to himself about the goodness of God and looks forward to the promises of God. For us, that promise is that one day, because Christ has died on the cross and rose from the dead, we too are going to rise with him. There is a day where pain and suffering and doubts will be no more. But in the meantime, we look forward to that promise being fulfilled and strive for faithfulness on this earth with that promise in mind. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.